like many of you out there, I met a lot of lifelong friends during my school years. I got lucky. Somehow, not only were we all similar to each other back in the day, but we managed to grow up in the same directions. I don't take it for granted now, but I know I didn't think much of it as a kid. I didn't notice how my little elementary school was bringing together the community I lived in, playing the same role that one-room schoolhouses did hundreds of years ago. Welcome to the Reconnecting Roots podcast, where we look at the past, present, and future of American progress and culture, discovering our values along the way. I'm your host, Brian Estabrooks. I'm Gabe McCauley, host of the TV series Reconnecting Roots. In the TV show, we look at the big picture of a topic, but here, we're able to do more of a deep dive. And I'll be your guide throughout our story today. I'll be out in the field, learning from people all across America. And today, we're looking at how the one-room schoolhouse laid the foundation for the education of America. There were schools and universities before the one-room schoolhouse model became popular, but there wasn't a whole lot of consistency. The one-room schools had a structure that could easily be copied from town to town. It gave shape to our current public education system, which 90% of America's students are enrolled in. So what exactly is a one-room schoolhouse? Well, like the name says, it's a school with only one room. I know, shocking, right? But within that one room is an entire range of grade levels, sometimes just the elementary grade levels and sometimes going all the way up to high school. On top of that, there's only one teacher heading up the class. From the 1800s to the early part of the 20th century, one-room schoolhouses were the most popular place for children to get an education. But what did schools look like before the 1800s? After all, children still learned something before then, right? Schools and universities have been around since before America was even officially a country. Harvard College, for example, was opened in 1636, a full 140 years before America's independence. But these schools weren't in every community at the time. If kids went to a place to get educated, it was usually at some sort of church or religious institution. At that point, they weren't teaching standard academics like math and social studies. Instead, they were focusing on teaching their religious beliefs to new generations, along with lessons on morals and family values. But a lot of kids were being homeschooled, just not in the way we think of today. Instead of gathering over textbooks and doing homework, these children were learning the family trade, which often tended to be farming. When you're worried about survival and making sure you can grow enough food to feed your family, you might not be as concerned with having your kids learn about world history or what the square root of a number is. It was all about practicality. What skills can I teach my kids today that will literally help them tomorrow? What's cool is this hands-on approach is still being taught today. I caught up with Yuritsi, a 17-year-old student at Big Picture High School in Nashville, Tennessee. But we weren't meeting up at the school. Instead, I went to the place where she has an internship. So tell me, it's a weekday. Yes, sir. And you're not in school. I am not. This How'd is, you get away with that? This is my internship. Um, and what we do is help immigrants and refugees of Nashville. Really? Yes, sir. 
So this is a part of Big Pictures program. This is. Um, we come here on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and we learn about the real world before even going to college. The real world. The real world and what it would be like. <laughs> Man, that's really cool. It sounds like a good mix of past ideas of acquiring skills, being an apprentice and all that, but still learning the core things you need to know in high school. Exactly. They do normal classroom work three days a week, but spend those other two days following their passion and spending time in their career field that they want to pursue after they graduate. Man, the students there really seem to enjoy it. So in what ways has the internship program through Big Picture prepared you? It has really helped me with my communication skills. I'm 17, and I speak to people who are much, much older than me about business. I can definitely picture myself doing something like this. It sounds like it's giving you some confidence. It is. It has given me a lot of confidence, especially to speak to people, to present in front of people. If practical skills were so useful at the time, then why did society shift more to one-room schoolhouses? Well, as America grew as a country and became more populated, parents started feeling the need for their children to be more educated than they were. The world was changing. Learning core academic subjects became a higher priority. So the next question for them was, where will I send my child to learn these things? After the American Revolution, the one-room schoolhouse was usually the first building developed when a new town was settled. This naturally meant that parents and many local citizens were involved in the creation of it. And since these schoolhouses were a central part of local communities, they tended to be used as a place for citizens to meet up at, whether for religious gatherings, political meetings, or just to get to know their neighbors. Kind of like the show Cheers, except without all the alcohol and 100% less Ted Danson. The schools were built to be within walking distance of the students. Remember, cars went around when these buildings were first created, which meant there weren't any yellow school buses either. Kids were expected to walk every day, sometimes for several miles in order to get an education. There could be anywhere from a handful of children in the class to more than 40 kids. Although there was only one teacher, they always had some assistance. The older students would help teach youngsters lessons and acted almost as mentors to them. The older kids also helped with general work that needed to be done, like bringing in water for the class. Remember, they didn't have plumbing at the time, or gathering more wood to burn during the colder months of the year. But the younger students were expected to chip in too. Their task was to clean up the schoolhouse, which not only included making sure their areas were tidy, but also helping to clean up chalkboards, erasers, and other materials they used for learning. These extra tasks were important because it taught them practical skills they needed in life, such as learning how to take care of their space, how to clean and work as a team. Their education was a balance of the academic and the pragmatic. At their peak in 1919, we had close to 200,000 one-room schoolhouses in America. But in the next few decades, this number would rapidly decline. By the 1950s, automobiles were everywhere and school buses were being used to take kids to school, which I'm sure they were happy with since that meant not having to walk anymore. This shifted the limitations of traveling to school. 
Instead of needing to have a schoolhouse within walking distance of the students, now they just needed to have a school that was within driving distance of school bus routes. This made a lot of one-room schoolhouses redundant. So, the country started consolidating kids into bigger buildings that had multiple rooms for different grade levels. This was already being done in the cities, but now it was being extended to towns and other rural areas. Another big motivator for moving into bigger buildings? Population growth. The amount of Americans doubled in just 50 years from 1900 to 1950. So you can imagine that a lot of those one-room schoolhouses became a little cramped, even in some of the smaller towns. Our national school system transformed into one that was more consistent across the board. Standardized testing spread as a way for local school administrations to track the progress of not only the students, but their county as a whole. Mass production of textbooks hit a new high, which made it convenient for all of these new schools to get on the same page. <laughs> Oh man, what have I done? The national public school system continued to evolve into what we have today, but not without some issues of its own. As the population grew, classroom sizes ballooned to the point where teachers have felt overwhelmed. Without those older kids helping out with teaching the younger ones, Teachers have felt the squeeze of having too many students and not enough time to give them all the individual attention they may require. Many parents have complained that their kids have been overlooked because of this and are not always able to get the help they need. Standardized testing has also been seen as a bit of a problem in recent years due to how reliant some school systems have become on it. Instead of learning about community-related topics and skills in one-room schoolhouses, some students have been given a one-size-fits-all curriculum that doesn't touch on any practical information or experience. When these students have graduated high school or gone to college, they complain that they were not equipped with the know-how to navigate the real world. America's one-room schoolhouse has laid the foundation for our current national school system. But have we gotten too far away from some of the core components that made these schoolhouses work? And if so, what can we do about it? The truth is, one-room schoolhouses never completely went away. In fact, there are still several hundred of them operating in America today, mostly in small towns and rural communities. Well, one of them was recently built right down the road from where I live by my good friend and neighbor, Rory Feek, who many of you out there may be familiar with thanks to his music, films, books, and blog. Naturally, I had to pick his brain and find out why on earth he would want to make his own one-room schoolhouse in this day and age. Why does anybody today build a one-room schoolhouse? Well, I have a little girl who has to go to school somewhere, but I found myself thinking, what if she could go to school at home? And what if we could do it in a unique way that not only would provide a special education for her, but also some other little kids? Was there anything in your public education experience, or you have two other daughters that you put through school, was there anything in those experiences that caused you to rethink what you want to do now? I'd say both of those things have impacted uh, this coming to be. And for me personally, 
we moved around a lot when I was a kid. So we went to some schools that were small, some some that were huge. And I pretty much stayed lost the whole time. There was one season of my life when we lived on a farm outside of a small town in Kansas, and there were only about 17 kids in the class. It's the best experience that I had in school. And my older girls, who are both grown now, 29 and 31, how their uh, education plays into this is I, I sort of feel like I failed them because I raised them the way that I was raised, which is they went to the school that the bus took them to. And nowadays, there's, the world's just changing so fast that that's not always the best option. And uh, the kids got a little lost in school. And I was just kind of a normal parent who just let the schools raise the kids. And I think um, I'd like to do better than that with Indy. I'd like to play a real role in that. What is it that makes you excited about the one-room schoolhouse model? The compulsory education system says it has to be done this way. But with us, we can question everything. Why does it have to be done that way? These schoolhouses were really built to serve the community. And that's kind of what the hope is here. It's, it's for my little one, but also other little ones in the community here. Not so much um, for far away as it is for the needs right here. What do you think a typical day would look like for a kid going to school here? Instead of just the reading, writing, and arithmetic, it's also going to be all things rural. I think they're going to have their own garden here, so I think they're going to raise their own food. Awesome. There's a kitchen in there. I think they're going to cook their own food. We get a chance to do things here that you wouldn't get to do in a lot of schools, which is gardening and having sheep and chickens and horses. Um, so they get to have chores and run and play in the woods and be outside a lot of the time. But the other thing is, is that we're going to try and bring in people from the community, specialists, like our neighbor, Miss Joanne, who's around 80. So she can teach them how to do crocheting or quilting awesome. or a neighbor cowboy who could teach them how to rope or um, you know, just whatever Practical we have access to. Skills. Our neighbor over there raise, raises bees, uh -huh. and so he could teach the kids how to raise bees and how to, how to harvest honey. So that's, that's kind of unusual, is that the curriculum is set really by the community that you're in. The schoolhouse that Rory has built is called the Hardison Mill School because it's in an area where the Hardison Mill used to exist. And I actually live off of Hardison Mill Road, so I've seen firsthand how the schoolhouse has been a blessing to the community. I've had friends that have volunteered to help the kids put on a play, and other friends who have a child with special needs that attends the school. And he loves the school. He was used to homeschooling, but the schoolhouse has given him some independence. And just the other day, I got a tour of the new garden area next to the greenhouse. And that meant I walked home with a fresh cucumber. It's a really nice blend of some old school sensibilities with some modern amenities. Getting those good old practical life skills has been something more sought after now. Trade schools and vocational schools have been on the rise, which give the students hands-on learning experience in the career field they want to be in. I actually went to one of those schools during my last two years in high school, and I loved it. For half a day, every day, I would learn all about computer hardware, coding, cabling, and telecommunications, all things that have helped my career. I had friends who learned how to fix cars and others who learned about architecture design, all before getting their high school diploma. 
Learning camps and workshops can be found in pretty much any city, from the big ones down to even smaller suburbs. Although you don't always get to choose which public school your kids are assigned to, which means you don't have control over the class size, there are now more resources available for one-on-one -on -one tutoring and additional learning. Dozens of companies facilitate local tutoring so kids can get the help they need, although it does come at a cost. And if you don't want someone local, technology has advanced to the point where you can pay for online tutoring, where an instructor will hop on a video call to chat with students and show them how to complete their work. And that's not even including all of the new online classes and educational courses anyone can now enroll in. Elements of the one-room schoolhouse can still be found in our modern educational environment. Without them, our school system wouldn't look like what it does today. And even if you don't completely agree with how your local school operates, you have the freedom to look elsewhere and find a more custom solution that fits your needs. The creativity of teachers, educators, and entrepreneurs have given us more choice in how we learn. But one of the most important things the one-room schoolhouse did was forge communities, a community in the classroom and a community of the town itself. Everyone came together to make sure their kids could get a better education. And in doing so, strangers became friends and we all became more connected with our neighbors. The one-room schoolhouse model didn't solve every problem for everyone, and neither does our current education system. But it taught us how to learn from one another in order to grow as a country. And that, that's a pretty important lesson. Thanks for listening to Reconnecting Roots. To learn more about the TV series, watch video clips, and more, go to reconnectingroots.tv. Feel free to rate us or leave a comment on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so we can keep the conversation going. Until next time.